0: Welcome everyone to another segment of our mental health moments. My name is Linda Gallick. I'm the health and wellbeing consultant here at Bellin Health. So thanks for taking the time to join us today. So I am so pleased uh, to have us uh, joined today by our very special therapist today. This is Dr. Tiffany Bourne. So Dr. Bourne is a licensed uh, child psychologist with us at Bellin Health. So Dr. Bourne, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this topic. Absolutely. So uh, Dr. Bourne, if you don't mind, if you can maybe just get us started by telling our audience a a little bit about yourself and about your background and and some of the things that you you do here at Bellin.
1: Sure. So I'm a licensed psychologist and also a board-certified behavior analyst, or BCBA, if you've heard that term before. I've been at Bellin for about six years, I believe, maybe six and a half. Um, and I came, I'm from Wisconsin originally, but I was a little bit, um, and then moved back home and uh, to to work at Bellin. And I've been working with kids and adolescents and their families since that time. I do some testing, so diagnosing, as well as therapy.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. So today we thought it would just be really timely. We all know that kids are back to school, and uh, sometimes that's a really exciting thing. For our kids and, and sometimes um it's a not so exciting thing so we're gonna kind of dive into some of that today so dr Bourne, i think just kind of a general starting point it, it seems to me that we're seeing a lot of like increased cases um of anxiety and and depression and um, ADHD and, and a lot of different things going on with our kids. Um, is, is that my imagination or is that is that valid, that that seems to be increasing in, in our recent times?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely valid. And unfortunately, it was something that we were seeing increasing at a alarming rate even before the pandemic. We were seeing rates of anxiety and depression in our kiddos really increasing. Um, You're probably aware there's increased rates of of autism spectrum in our community um, and across the the nation. ADHD is very prevalent as well. And when the pandemic hit, unfortunately those things only got worse. Um, The rates of anxiety and depression, social isolation really increased as did our mental health concerns for our adults who are caring for our kiddos right so yes we're talking about kids and their mental health but the the mental health of their parents and caregivers and teachers is really important in this too
0: let's let's dive into just kind of the the general topic of anxiety um it seems to me that we we hear that a lot um that kids are are experiencing a lot of anxiety for a lot of different reasons so What are your thoughts on what's normal, like what's okay for your kids to be having some anxiety about things? And then when do we need to go a step further where they actually maybe need some additional assistance, whether it be something medical or um, some counseling, like how, how do we navigate that?
1: Yes, that's a great question because anxiety is normal, right? We all have anxiety and that is a normal part of being a human. I think sometimes even adults um, and myself included, try to get rid of it altogether, right? Anxiety must be bad, but being anxious makes us know that we care about things, right? It has us know Mm -hmm. what we want to focus on and where we need to put more attention in our life. And if we're not anxious, we're not going to be putting forth that effort. So I think normalizing that for our kids too, is that it's okay that you're worried about going back to school or it's okay that you're worried about this big test coming up. That's normal. It becomes a problem when that worry gets in the way of doing the things that they want to do. So if we're so worried about that test that we can't actually study for it, or we get the test in front of us and now I can't start, that's a problem. If we're not getting sleep because of that, that worry, that's a problem. If we don't want to leave the house or don't want to do things that we used to really love and enjoy time with our friends, now that anxiety is getting in the way and it's becoming a problem and we might need to seek out some additional help. Very helpful,
0: very helpful. I think it we see that in adults as well. That once it starts to interfere with your regular life, that's yes. something to pay attention to, and it needs to you, you need to take some action steps on that.
1: Yes, and with the goal of being able to deal with it and work through it, not getting rid of it altogether, because that's that's a goal you won't be successful with, and and I think our lives wouldn't be as rich if we got rid of anxiety altogether.
0: Well, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up. So I, I think that that brings me to another question of. How do we how do we balance that for our kids, right? Because we we want everything so so beautiful and and so um, smooth and and easy um, for our kids. We want to protect them from things, but yet there's that balance of trying to also help them um, understand that that life can be challenging. So, what are your what are you, what are your thoughts on on that topic in particular?
1: Yes, I caution parents all the time to try not to fix all of our kids' problems. Because although that might help in the moment, you take that kid's anxiety or anger or fear away in for that particular situation because you handled it. They now don't know how to handle that when it comes up and it will come up in their day to day life. And they don't have the strategies and the coping mechanisms to do so. And then they they also feel like something's wrong. If I'm worried about something, it must not be OK. Or if I get angry about something. It, that that can't be okay, so there must be something wrong with me. So modeling that all emotions are are good emotions. It's just what we do with them and how we handle them and do the things we want in life that matter.
0: I thought it was in- really interesting and uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the Barbie movie. Um... So Love the Barbie movie, so good. (laughs) Yes, because one of the great things that I really appreciated about the Barbie movie, so plug your ears if you don't want to hear this, uh, Barbie has a choice on whether she wants to go back to Barbie land where everything is perfect and she has no worries and it's sunshine every day, or to go into the human world where she has the gamut of emotions. So not just happiness and joy, but fear and tears and sadness and uh, Barbie chose that. At, at the end of the movie. And I yeah. thought that was really just a great lesson for all of us to remember that um, human emotions are gonna come and go, it is gonna be up and down. And of course, that's, that's normal for our kids as well.
1: Yes. One activity I often do with families is I have the kiddos and the parents um, write down as many good emotions as they can and as many bad emotions as they can. And I can definitely see this this change because some of my kids get it and they're like, ha I know you're tricking me. They're all good emotions. Uh, and the the parents often struggle with that. And they have this really clear, well, anger, sadness, jealousy, all these are bad. Um, and you really use it as a talking point of, nope, we need to have the full range of human emotions. We just want to be able to navigate through them and get stuck in in any of them.
0: That's a cool activity. I like that. I like that. Um, Let's talk about a little bit about um, social media in our young people. Um, I think it's a concern of parents. Kids want to be on social media. They want to use social media. They want to be connected to their friends. How do we how do we navigate that? What's what's healthy for them? What's unhealthy for them? What are some things to look out for if our kids are, are on a lot of social media?
1: Yeah, it's a concern I definitely share. I've said to my friends many times, I'm so glad I'm not growing up in this age where mm-hmm. everything that I do is could be broadcast and on the internet forever. Um, mm-hmm. Social media is not bad in and of itself. Right? There are really good things that come from it, that connection that you mentioned, getting to know what's happening. Um, we're able to, like during a global pandemic, stay connected with and talk with people that we aren't able to see on a, on a daily basis. Some of my kiddos who are on the autism spectrum are able to use social media to find people who kind of fit their niche and who understand them a little bit better than maybe the people that are in their um, immediate community. So that there can be a lot of helpful things, but there are a lot of drawbacks as well. Um, we're often comparing our regular ordinary life with all of those emotions to everyone's highlight reels. We're seeing that people are using filters and ways to make themselves look the best that they can, which can create more of that anxiety and low self-esteem and depression, um, especially in kids who are already at risk for those feelings. Um, it, it can be difficult to be overly vulnerable. right? Some of our kids aren't aware of what they should and shouldn't be putting out um, on social media, and that can be used from their peers in bullying situations, but also from those who are really looking to harm our kids and use it for scams, trying to get money, um, that sort of thing. And we really know the brain is not fully developed and ready to make those decisions when when you're Mm -hmm. quite young. So it's something that parents have to be
0: aware of and and really working with their kids on. Two things that you said that I want to expand upon. So first, I want to hear more about um, the brain development so I think that's interesting for us to to learn about that, how that's that's different, you know, in a mm-hmm. in a younger child and in and, and a teen. And then I want to talk a little bit about bullying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So our frontal lobe, which is the part of the brain that's right in the front, just called the frontal lobe, is the part of the brain that's responsible for thinking, reasoning, making good decisions and being able to think forward to the future of what consequences might happen if I do x, y, and z at this moment. It helps us to be rational creatures and not just emotional creatures. And we know the frontal lobe isn't fully developed until about age 26 or 27 in -hmm. a typically developing person. So if you put, you know, ADHD on top of that, or autism on top of that, or mental health conditions, it might even take longer to kind of get to that, that stage. Um, And so really, until about age 13, I would be concerned about social media use at all um, for for kiddos, for those older than 13 with supervision and with a family plan um, to be able to kind of figure out what what works can make sense. Um, It's so individualized for each particular child and family There's a family media usage plan that you can get online, and you can really use that to structure a family conversation about what does social media usage look like and what should the rights and responsibilities of everyone in the family, not just the kiddos, be around that.
0: Do you know, Dr. Bourne, is there a difference in brain development between boys and girls?
1: Yes. yes um it's, it's hotly debated um okay. but we have we definitely have seen differences um in gender but it's like a lot of things that there's more variability within those categories than between those categories so really hard to make those sweeping generalizations i would say it's more important regardless of the gender of your children to think about my child and you know your child mm-hmm. best as a parent what can my child handle and mm-hmm. what kind of things do i need to put in place and With social media, it's hard because I can tell you the kiddos I work with know more about social media and electronics than I do. Um, So being able to stay on top of it and know uh, what what they're doing and what's out there can be really Really challenging. And uh, a lot of our social media outlets have ways for parents to kind of have a supervisory uh, role and kind of be able to see what's happening. You can create like kid accounts on certain, like uh, Facebook uh, Messenger kids, um, so that there's more parental controls there. So there are safeguards that can be put into place. Parents just have to be aware that sometimes our our kids and teenagers can kind of outsmart us and figure out ways to, to go around those age limits and around those kind of parental controls at times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I have a couple questions coming in on the chat. So, if you don't mind, we'll kind of pick up some of these. So, what are your thoughts on allowing a teen experiencing school avoidance to homeschool slash attend virtual while working out a new medication and therapist? Then once the anxiety OCD is manageable, switching back to in-person.
1: Yeah, and I want to give a caveat for any of these that I I don't know these particular children and teenagers and families. So please take everything I say with a grain of salt and and work with your own kind of team to figure out what's best for your particular case. Um, But sometimes certainly I've had patients that have had to take a break from in-person school and do more of a virtual or online learning in order to work on other things in their lives and be able to kind of get back into it. I do caution that sometimes when we're anxious about something, if we avoid it altogether, it's much harder to get back into it later on. So I would use that pretty much as a kind of not, I don't want to say last resort, but as something of this child's really, really struggling to the point that they're not able to, to function um, before I would say that, because getting back into that school setting after we've taken that break can be really challenging.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I had another question here. In regards to when anxiety interferes with daily activities, is there a time frame, such as one week, two weeks, a month, Generally accepted on average, where a family should reach out to medical professionals slash counselors for help.
1: Yeah, you know, I think we want to look for a pattern. So it's normal for anxiety around like big transitions to kind of get in the way for a little bit of time. But if it's something that's been going on for a couple weeks or a month and really is impacting um, the child, then I think it's time to to reach out. And you can always reach out and then, you know, change your mind if it's not necessary. Unfortunately, there is a Lack of access to mental health professionals because of that mental health tsunami we talked about. So Mm -hmm. it does take a little while to get in places. So you know, if I'm the parent and I have a concern, I'm probably going to make that call pretty quickly, knowing that it's going to take a while for that child to get seen. And then if things get better, great, I can cancel it, and someone else is going to fill that spot. Um, But if things get worse, now I'm at a crisis level, and now it's it's I have to wait still. So I would kind of reach out earlier, just knowing the kind of the landscape of mental health care.
0: And I think uh, sooner rather than later, I mean, uh, Char- you know, Charles, when he was on the program, you know, we always talked about that we all should have been born with a therapist, yes. like every say, si- <laughs> wouldn't yes. it be wonderful if every single one of us just automatically had one, because everybody's got something that they could yes. talk about. So I, if if you're concerned, why why not have that conversation? Why not get those things going?
1: Yes. And then modeling for your child and your family that you don't go to therapy because there's something wrong with you and you need to fix it. You go to therapy to figure out how to be the best version of yourself um, and anything that's standing as a barrier to help get rid of that barrier or to be able to move over it or under it. Uh, it's not something that there's, there shouldn't be that stigma, right? Of that only right. people who are really struggling see see therapists. And I think that our society is moving in that direction of more openness and, readiness and willingness to talk about that people who are functioning really well have therapists and um, Mm -hmm. get that help. And that's one of the reasons why
0: they are functioning as well as they are. Mm I think that's one of the things that um you know covid did for us it it really I think more normalized these conversations and and we really um are being more open about it and it's just the idea of having having someone help you navigate life's challenges as well because we're all going to have challenges at some point so uh, you don't have to feel like there's something wrong with you just because you you would like some assistance in navigating life's challenges that's mm-hmm. that's very normal right very normal
1: I- I think we've moved more towards uh, prevention as well and like social emotional understanding from an early age. I'm so glad when I hear about when I have kiddos come in and they say, oh, yes, I learned about a growth mindset at school or yes, I learned these breathing techniques or we did meditation at school uh, because these are things that help us all, whether we are at the height of our mental health capacity or not. Um, And so being able to destigmatize and have these as kind of early learning things can be really helpful because when we develop habits over decades, it's a lot harder to change when I'm 50 and I'm dealing with my anxiety than when mm-hmm. I'm eight and I'm learning these strategies and I have those in my back pocket to kind of go through life. So I, I think that's also a positive that's, that's coming in society.
0: So you touched on that health and well-being piece. And of course, that's a piece that I'm very, very much interested in because I very much um educate people on the idea of wellness is way more than your physical dimension. There's all these other things that come into us as, as human beings and how what makes us up as a whole. And so I would love um, to hear from you, really, what are some of those health and well-being practices that people can do and that kids can do that really do aid in a healthier status overall?
1: Yes. I talk to families all the time about how mental health and physical health aren't separate, right? We talk about them separately, but they're so connected um, and they they feed off of each other. I think sometimes we talk about um, the the mental health things that come when you have physical things that are challenging and that's certainly part of it, but it's also if we do physical activity and we work on our physical well-being, our mental health tends to follow and be in a more positive direction as well. So exercise, getting out in nature, getting some fresh air has been shown over and over um, across the board to be really helpful for mental health and improving symptoms of diagnoses that are already there. So improving anxiety and depression symptoms in people who have those diagnoses, preventing those conditions from happening in the first place. And then also helping um, have a longer break between episodes and preventing relapse in mental health conditions of, of various natures. So we know that working on our our body and getting those those physical movements is so helpful across the board and kids can do it in lots of ways it doesn't have to be you know we're not telling five-year-olds to go run on the treadmill right it could be right. using right. pokemon go on the phone to go mm-hmm. find those pokemon out there or running around the neighborhood or playing catch with with mom or dad which also allows those connections um socially as well so Getting that exercise, um, getting out in fresh air, so important. Eating healthy, getting good sleep, all of the things that we talk about. And we're like, oh, yeah, you're saying the same thing. Well, it's because they work and that they're important. And we often see that those are the same areas that are impacted when mental health starts to decline.
0: Well, I was thinking about, too, you know, just even for myself, I mean, you know, what kind of mood am I in if I'm eating a lot of junk, if I'm not getting a lot of sleep, if Mm -hmm. I'm not getting some movement in? You know, I I get to be a crabby adult, so I mean, I think the same is really true for our kids. In that, you know, we have to look at some of these fundamentals too and see what kind of a base are we creating uh, with yes. our kids. And you know, some some things we can we can work on by trying to get some more sleep or or trying to get some more activity. Uh, that that can only help um, some of these situations too.
1: Absolutely, you make an important point of modeling too, right? Of Yeah, we can tell our kids all day long to get some exercise and get good sleep. But if we aren't doing those things, if we're sitting on our phones, it's going to be a lot harder for them to to believe us and want to listen. So make it a family thing. Now go do something together.
0: Absolutely. Okay, I got a couple more questions. I'm loving this um, audience, please sending them in because Dr. Bourne is, she's she's ready to answer these. So, um, any advice on how to tell if my teen is pulling a fast one on me about their fears of in-person school? One parent supports homeschool virtual, one parent thinks teen may be acting a bit. Any way to tell? Hmm. Yeah,
1: it's really hard, especially not knowing the the particular family. Um, What I'm wondering if that's kind of getting at is sometimes parents have different belief systems around kind of mental health um, and sometimes feel like mental health is used as kind of an excuse um, to get out of doing things. And certainly, you know, teenagers especially are really good at making those excuses and getting out of things. So that can be part of it. But most of the time people are not making up you know mental health concerns it's not something that's fun right it's not fun to be depressed it's not fun to be yeah. anxious so usually believing and going in with okay this is true for you is going to help regardless of the actual facts in the case i'd much rather make the assumption that the person is telling us the truth and going with that than the assumption that they're kind of pulling that fast one or or, or lying it doesn't mean you're going to change your your answers or what you're going to do. But if you come at it from a collaborative standpoint, if we're going to work together as a team, so you're telling me you're feeling this way, I believe you and let's problem-solve together of how we can help, right? Versus if anyone would tell me that they don't believe what I'm telling them, I'm going to shut down and I'm going to say, I, I don't have any interest in problem-solving with you, and I th- what's the point? So I think coming at that I believe you and I want to collaborate and be your teammate, usually works a lot better than the adversary way.
0: Yeah, very good. All right, we have another question. Um, This one um, says, we currently provide all students social-emotional learning. We are always looking for what else can we do to support our students and families? Are you aware of other programs or supports that schools could use to support students?
1: I love it. I love that the social-emotional learning piece is there. There are a lot of programs out there, um, and I'm not exactly sure what our local school districts use, although, like I said, I've been hearing good things from my kiddos about um, what they're bringing in from school, but there are a number of programs out there, and I can do some research and and share that with that particular person after if that would be Okay. okay. Um, but okay. I think big things are just having to be part of every day right it's not just something that's a like a counseling class right it's a, it's that curriculum throughout the day and we are all working on these things those positive behavior interventions and supports that we see in schools where we're working on having a community with clear kind of rules about how we treat One another is really helpful to kind of build that sense of community and have people feel included Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: having plans of what do we do when we do hear that bullying might be happening or what do we do when there is a kiddo who's struggling um, so
0: that we can intervene before
1: it becomes a really big crisis
0: let's go back to that bullying piece yeah Uh, um so i want to talk about what do we do if our child is the bully if our child is experiencing the bullying or if um, you're seeing one of your friends bullied, you know, your yeah. child is seeing one of their friends bullied. So what's, what's the best way to, uh, to address that?
1: Yes, well, I love that you asked about all three of those components because usually I just hear, you know, what happens if your child's being bullied? And I understand that, but those those other two are really important too. So let's start with if your child tells you that they're being bullied or you have concerns that they're being bullied. Um, some kind of warning signs might be if they start avoiding wanting to go to school and it hasn't been an issue in the past. They come home and they just are kind of a mess. They have big tantrums or meltdowns when they come home. Um, They stop wanting to talk to friends that they've been talking to in in the past, sleep is impacted, Um, eating routines are impacted, not wanting to do activities that they've been doing before. Whenever we're talking about a big conversation like bullying, the biggest piece is actually before the conversation happens. It's developing this relationship as a family that your child feels like they can come talk to you about anything and that you're not going to either overreact or underreact. Um, So sometimes families will kind of try to help their child by telling them how what they're concerned about is not really a big deal. But that sends the message of, well, what you think is silly, or I don't believe you, or um, "This this isn't a big problem and it's not kind of worth our time. If someone gives me that attitude, I'm not likely to want to kind of come to them in the future either. But what I actually see more often than that is parents who kind of overreact child tells them that they're they're being bullied or something is happening and they as the protector understandably want to fix it oh my gosh tell me what happened where was this look give me his mom's name I'm going to call the principal tomorrow and kind of makes it so that the child either feels like whoa now I have to manage my parents emotions and I need to like get them to calm down so I can't really share what's true for me or it ramps them up as well as like oh my gosh, this is a huge problem and um, I need, need a lot of help because even my mom is is struggling to deal with this. So trying as much as we can just to, to stay neutral and calm and, and empathetic and, wow, that must be really hard. Tell me more. Where were you when this was happening? What was going on? Oh, man. Um, were there, was there anybody else around? What happened before? Kind of asking those questions in a way to get more information without making it seem like we're either saying that their problems are silly or that we're kind of overreacting there.
0: I really appreciate that idea of don't overreact don't underreact you know really really kind of feel that out and and remain that that neutral person I I love that uh, I think that's a great great approach um for a lot of things for a lot yes. of things with, with kids right
1: and it's hard because we want to be the protector we want to keep anything bad from happening to our our sweet Kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But but being able to show that we can regulate our our emotions in that moment goes a long way to giving them the confidence that they can as well. So, we want to instill in our kids that we believe that they can solve these problems. We're there to help them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there's a team there to help them there's teachers, there's counselors, there's psychologists. There's administration at school that's there to help them they have friends but we believe in them and we're there as a team to help support but not to take over and fix the problem um, or not to just say you know suck it up and uh, this is just something everybody deals with move on
0: yeah uh what what are the what are some of the common things that you see um really in in your patients and then the families that you work with i mean what are what are some of the the other big concerns that that tend to uh you know kind of cause issues for for kids and, and their families
1: yeah can we first go back to talk about what if your kids the bully
0: yes uh, yes, or the uh, yes i think absolutely. that's really important <laughs> Yeah,
1: Um, I think sometimes families when they hear or that their child is the bully um, feel a lot of guilt and shame themselves and they might react either by denying it. There's no way that my kid is doing this or they might act by shaming the child or trying to make the child feel guilty And, and understandably you don't want your child to be hurting someone else. But we know that shame and guilt are not very helpful emotions. Um, And if we are kind of bullying our kids (laughs) to tell them to not bully others, um, it doesn't work very well. So we're kind of perpetuating this negative kind of interaction style. So if you find out that your child is doing something you don't like, whether it be bullying or or anything, trying to again, be that child's teammate, even when they're doing something you don't like. Okay, help me understand what's going on. You know, Where were you when the situation was happening? what has happened in in your life um, and what kind of needs are here. Oftentimes bullying happens when a child doesn't have the social emotional skills to interact appropriately. Sometimes bullies are being bullied by others. We have to be able to figure that out and maybe they need to, they feel the need to do this behavior so that they can feel protected themselves. Um, Sometimes bullying happens because There's some anxiety or depression or mental health things going on for for that that child, and they don't know how to to deal with those things. Um, So being able to kind of work together to figure out, you know, what's going on. Yes, this behavior is not acceptable, and we're going to work with you on how to kind of work as a team to help it be better rather than just punishing, taking things away and, and shaming, because that's unlikely to actually make the problem Better. When for anybody at risk, bullies included, we want them to feel part of a community and supported and around positive models. And we're not going to be doing that if we're just shaming or just disciplining. So that would be kind of my my thoughts for if your child is is the bully. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned like the bystander piece, right? Yeah. What if your child because yeah, I think like some kids it?
0: really you know get involved in that and they're not really sure how we react and and how to how to protect their friend or who they should speak up to or what what they should do.
1: Yes, and it's so impactful, you know, we often don't think about it as being as big of a deal, but for our kids, especially middle school, high school, and beyond, our friend relationships are the most important relationships in their lives. So, if they're seeing a friend or even a peer that's getting bullied, that can be just as impactful to them as being the victim themselves, Um, especially with that, like, feeling of helplessness, like, I don't know what to do. So, Being willing to empathize and and validate those feelings for the bystanders as well, and not just say, well, this isn't your problem, don't worry about it, um, is helpful. It's so dependent on the situation of whether a kid should get involved and what that should look like. You know, if your child has the kind of social capital and the ability to kind of stand up for a friend and in a safe way, so it's not a situation where they're worried about their own physical safety, um, great, we'd love to encourage kind of standing up for your friends and and being there. If your child doesn't or they're worried about kind of blowback on them, talking about who you can talk to in the school to kind of provide that support. Could you go talk to the person that's being bullied after the bully is away and say, hey, I'm here for you, right? Um, Anything to kind of lend that support that's going to not get that child also too involved in the mix and then possibly be a victim as well. So I think that's a really important kind of piece of the puzzle we we don't talk about a lot is those people who are just kind of seeing it happening.
0: Well, I think it's a really... um... Great opportunity to teach your kids empathy too. You know, for if they're seeing something happening to somebody else, um, for them, maybe to yeah, I love that the idea of reaching out to that person, saying, "Hey, I'm here for you, and I want to help you. I want to be there for you." That's a great opportunity to to teach a young person for sure.
1: Absolutely. Sorry, yeah. my screen went black. It just took. Oh, it to
0: Oh, back. it fell asleep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It fell asleep. We'll uh, keep chatting in your questions (laughs) if you have more for Dr. Born. Um, Okay. So other, other things, other things that we haven't talked about yet that you kind of see other, other um, examples of, of what families and kids are kind of dealing with um, anything else in particular that you wanted to address, especially going back to school and and the season that we're in right now.
1: Yeah. You know, I think um, mental health. In our kiddos especially often comes out looking like anger or irritability Mm -hmm. um, or defiance um so recognizing that those behaviors and attitudes can be associated with a whole um skew of mental health concerns as well and that typically um a child or an adult as well are not going to choose anger as a response just because it makes them feel good it doesn't feel good to be angry Mm -hmm. a lot of the times it doesn't feel good to be um Kind of making things difficult for others so if we can as parents and as caregivers and as teachers think about okay this child's not doing this against me on purpose right it's unlikely that they woke up this morning and said how can i make my mom's life hell today right there's a reason behind these behaviors and this these angry emotions and these outbursts what can we figure out about what that reason is and how can we help alleviate those concerns give other strategies and suggestions going forward and really work together rather than just feeling kind of victimized ourselves. Cause I think that's, and that's natural too, right? It's difficult to be a parent ever. And it's really challenging to be a parent when you have a child who has significant emotional behavioral needs. So being able to take care of our own mental health but then also being on our child's team can be really important.
0: Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I think We've talked on this program before about adverse child experiences and we've dug into that a little bit and, and uh, the idea of not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. Yes. So when a child is is displaying some of these emotional things, um, not to right away think, oh, there's something wrong with, with this kiddo um just the opposite really really thinking about well, what happened what happened that this child is angry what happened mm-hmm. that this child is reacting this way mm-hmm. um helps put a different lens and a, and kind of a different level of of compassion on maybe yes. what that child has experienced
1: yes and then gets us to a problem uh, solving place if our thought <laughs> is this child is bad or this child has x y or z diagnosis and then that's the way this is going to be we're kind of stuck, right? But if our if our thought is this is the what this child is working with, this is their their past or this is um, where their their brain is at at this moment, okay, we get that. So here's how we, we can help and let's work on that together versus just classifying them as a, in a negative way.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Any other any other areas that you wanted to address today, Dr. Bourne? Anything else that you wanted to share with us? One area
1: that parents ask me about a lot is homework, um, especially mm-hmm. with the oh, service yes. school. Kids um, yes. can so really struggle with that. Families can really struggle with that. So that's a topic mm-hmm. that comes up a lot if, if we want to talk about that for a few minutes.
0: Absolutely. Yes, we'd love to hear about that.
1: So a lot of times kids will have problems around homework and it's really important to figure out, you know, is this a can't do kind of problem or is this a won't do kind of problem. So is the child really struggling because academically they're not really understanding what's being asked? Are they struggling because they have given their all all day at school and their executive functioning for that day is just drained and there isn't any left to give? Are they struggling because they don't want to be doing this? They want to be on video games and they want to be outside, right? What are the reasons behind it so that we can figure out a plan kind of as a family to work through it? Homework is such a challenge for so many of the families that I work with. You know, I've had second and third graders whose families tell me that they spend hours at night trying to get through homework.
0: Mm. That's not
1: okay. That's not good. Mm-hmm. It's not helpful for, for that child or for that family's life. Um, and they're probably not learning very much if that's the case. We really want to be seeing homework should be about 10 minutes a night per grade level. So first graders should really only have about 10 minutes of homework a night. Sixth grader about an hour. If it's drastically more than that, we got to figure out what's going on, and it might be talking with the teacher. Mm -hmm. You know what what expectations are here. What can we prioritize? um, What can we do to help? Because this is this is such a struggle every night um, because we want your child to be able to have school time and then home time. That's that's positive as well. And um, and it's not fun for for families to be fighting with kids to be doing homework either. Um, So figuring out kind of strategies that kind of help will will be help the child be successful and help the parents be happier, healthier beings, too.
0: I like the rule of thumb of the ten the ten minutes per grade level. That's that's a helpful I think that's a helpful recommendation for people to kind of know kind of a ballpark um, idea of, of what what would be appropriate for for kids of of certain ages
1: yes yeah and you know sometimes I've had families that they've been really working hard and and hours and hours and then they talk to the teacher and the teachers like, oh my gosh I didn't want I didn't know that was happening I didn't mm. want that to be happening mm-hmm. um, so you know usually uh, working with with the school and having that collaboration is the the most helpful thing when there is homework issues. There's lots of strategies that can help, too, like having a specific time and place to do homework, um, preferably distraction-free or some kids actually need like a fidget or like light music on in the background, something to kind of help figuring out what works best for your child and that time that works best. Um, I like to think about kind of grandma's rule. You know, you eat your dinner, you get cookies um, that you know, do your homework and then you get to the fun things. But sometimes we need a little bit of a break to kind of refill our executive functioning bucket when we get home from school before we can kind of go into that homework piece. So kind of doing some trial and error, but then having kind of a set time of, all right, this is our homework time. It's dedicated for this. This is our homework space. Um, If possible, we only use this for homework space. Um, And maybe everybody in the family is doing homework during that time. You know, maybe that's the time when when parents are doing their chores as well. So it's kind of a a set time and um, place for this is when we're doing this and getting this done.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that. Again, just setting that example because uh, kids are watching us all the time and yes. uh, they will, they will duplicate what we do. So we we can Absolutely. also um, have quite a bit of influence just by being that good example. So that, yes. that's good for us to remember too.
1: Yes. And they learn awesome. way more from what we do than what we say. So they,
0: <laughs> I always use my god kids as an example. Um, they lived a couple hours away and when I would visit them, I would uh, take healthy snacks with me. And amazingly enough, these kids would um, eat healthy snacks when Auntie Linda would come to visit, uh, but their mom couldn't get them to do it when I wasn't around. It was it was merely the example of of seeing someone eat an orange or have a yogurt uh, that yes. influenced them. And and that's just a very simple example, but uh, I'll always remember that that uh, that that's what showed them like, hey, we can eat these healthy foods too.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, that modeling is important. But for all the parents out there who are like come on. I do try I do try to model. Sometimes <laughs> kids are hardest on their parents than they are oh, on other yes. adults. So that can happen too. But absolutely having that good model in, um, is, is so helpful and important.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been just a great conversation, Dr. Bourne. I, I so appreciate you being with us here today. I, I think we all learned a lot. I think we all have a lot of like really great content to uh, take back to to our homes and our families um and if you have additional questions you know feel free to reach out to us we'll we'll get those to Dr. Bourne and and um we'll do some communication back and forth that way but um Dr. Bourne any other uh, closing comments before we wrap up today
1: No that's it thank you so much for having me
0: Yeah thank thank you such a timely great topic for all of us too to discuss today. So thanks to our audience for taking the time um, and hopefully we will see you next month. Take care, everyone.
1: Take care, everybody.